came a long way. That's what the song say. And I could do all things. I could do all things. Yeah, I could do all things. Yeah, yeah. We came a long way. That's what the song say. And I could do all Hey, what's up? What's going on? And welcome to the Be Real Podcast, where we keep it real on social issues, history, news, faith, and everything in between. It's your one-stop podcast with thought-provoking talk and real content. Now, it's time to get real with your host, Brandon Mosley. You know what it is. Swag out. I can do all things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's what the song say. I can do all things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's what the song say. I can do all things. Yeah, yeah. What's going on, guys? Welcome to season three. I took a little time off. I've missed you guys. I have. Um, so with that being said, thank you. Thank you for uh, continuing to be a supporter and listener to the B-Roll podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Mosley, and we have a interesting topic. We're going to get into some um, things that's happening right now in terms of policy and um, what some people may actually truly, truly need. And I want to talk about minimum wage, right? Um, and thinking of minimum wage, the first thing I got to tell you a story. I haven't told you guys a story in a while. I think about my first minimum wage job. Um, my very first job was working at a barbershop, cleaning up hair and stuff like that and being a runner. But I was, you know, 12, 13 years old. So my first real, real job was at a place um, called Starcrest. People used to joke and call it Slave Crest um, because it wasn't the best job ever. Luckily, I didn't have to work in the um, factory or the warehouse area. I'm sorry. I I worked upstairs in the phone area. So what I would have to do is uh, answer calls and I would have to fill orders out. It was pretty much a call center. So as soon as you hang the phone up, there was another call coming in. Many hang up. Um, and I worked the weekends. And that's when minimum wage was, I think, 625 or 675 something like that. And I would only work the weekend. So my check would be a couple hundred bucks, right? And as a you know, 16, 17-year-old kid, I, I didn't concern myself about making too much money. But the craziest thing to me was that there were people there that were twice my age, you know, in their 30s with kids working there as well, um, working on minimum wage. And I can only imagine how they were getting by. And the same thing when I started working at Domino's, it was the same thing that, you know, the people who were working there, um, some of them were, you know, twice my age. So a lot of times the myth is that minimum wage jobs are only for teenagers and that's the only one that's really working in. And, um, and people who do work is like maybe older folks who are working at, as a door creator at Walmart and that's what they have. But we are seeing in the statistics show that minimum wage jobs aren't just for teenagers. And there's people who are really trying to um, provide for a family working these jobs. So some of the things we're going to talk about today is like in this episode, what is minimum wage actually um, the history of it? Uh, 
who's on minimum wage and why why we need to actually look at raising minimum wage to a living wage. So with that being said, let's get straight to the episode. Hopefully you enjoy this one. right to it y'all let's get right to it minimum wage all right so first and foremost as an econ teacher i have to tell you what minimum wage is in in that realm um simply it's a price floor right so a price floor is anything above equilibrium you may ask yourself what is equilibrium equilibrium is when this is on a graph is when supply and demand intersect right supply and demand wants two different things right um one wants to save money one wants to make money right and in this case those who are in demand or those who have or you know demanding is the employer the supplier at this point is the employee so with that being said um supply is normally down when price is down and demand is normally up when price is down and it, it goes opposite, right? Demand, they chase lower prices. So they go opposite of wherever the price is. The price is high, demand is down. Supply goes in the same direction of money. I know I just gave you a whole econ lesson so quick. But anyways, when those two meet, that's called equilibrium. That's called like the perfect place, right? So what a price floor is, the price floor is right above that equilibrium where you can't go below this price. So you can't even make it to equilibrium because equilibrium's too low. What that's telling us about minimum wage is and about employers that if there was no minimum wage, employers would pay you a lot less. Bottom line, if there's no minimum wage, employers would pay you less because they will say they'll have more options in terms of resources to hire someone else. So it would be a bidding war on who will take the least amount of money. That's where we would be at. So that's why minimum wage is so important. Um, it's not what Adam Smith Smith thinks of, of the invisible hand and that big business would do what's right for people. In reality, big business would do what's best for who themselves, the bottom line at the end of the day. Right? So, the federal minimum wage came about um, in 1938, and we'll talk more about that, um, but it happened during the Depression, and FDR uh, pushed for $0.25 cent an hour minimum wage, and we'll talk about that more in, in a little bit. But the idea of the minimum wage was introduced um, during the progressive movement, but it took place in 1890. So that's like right in between leaving out of the Gilded Age. And the average American would annually make $380 a year, right? And some would say, well, the 1800s, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's about fair. Well, that was well below the poverty line of $500 a year. All right. So $120 below the poverty line people were living. That's a lot at that time, a whole lot. So, we have to ask ourselves what was going on, right? What was happening in that time 
that would allow people to make so much less than what they really need. So here's the deal. Around that time, the Gilded Age, you have the wealthiest people in the world, right, happening, um, being created, you can say, right? You have the top 1% or really smaller than 1% of people owning more than the other 99% of people in terms of money, property, and things of that nature. So that's so that much more richer. We're talking about the Rockefellers of the world, right? The Carnegie's. We're talking about those type of people um, building business with no regulation, corruption, um, paying off politicians, the robber bears, as we call them. Um, there's no oversight, monopolies for days, right? So it's it's a different world. Business is like the wild, wild west. And with that being said, there was no worker rights. You have the um, book in 1906 that came out from Upton Sinclair that we talked about in another episode, The Jungle, and the way the Eastern Europeans were being treated that were coming over, um, the type of jobs that are taken at meatpacking meat packing companies, and the danger at the job, and the force over time that they would not even receive um, overtime pay for, the weekend work the children labor. So the list goes on. So all this was happening and, and people are living in tenements. So these people literally are living a hellish lifestyle, eating whatever they can get their hands on, living wherever they can live um, and barely making it right. While the top 1% in America was living it up, right? The Gilded Age. So, that's where the progressive movement was birthed out of. Right. And that's where the idea of minimum wage was being birthed out of. And that's also where the union, the labor movement was really starting to gear up and fight starting like in the eight, late 1860s going into the 1900s. Right. So we see right then and there that without unions, the American worker was being taken advantage of bottom line. And wasn't getting their fair share. Um, what we see, though, across the, the world around the same time, Australia and New Zealand actually were the first countries who, to even think about or having an actual minimum wage. So but slowly with the progressive movement pushing, pushing, other states started to adopt. So Massachusetts uh, started their own minimum wage in 1912, but only for women and minors so women and children, because uh, they believe most men were getting paid enough anyways, and they could join unions that were cropping up all over. Um, so by 1938, though, you have, of course, you're in the middle of the the Great Depression. So you have the Fair Labor Standard Act, right? F- FLSA. And it set a national minimum wage at 25 cents and 44 hour work week and prohibit any oppressive child labor. Uh, any labor for children is oppressive. So that's anyways. Um, and the crazy thing, the minimum wage in the sixties, um, changed six times. Meaning the sixties was, you know, when they say, you know, think about the great America, uh, of the fifties and sixties, the great America, of the fifties, sixties had a strong union and had a country that continued to change its minimum wage six times in that decade alone. 
we've changed minimum wage federally six times since 1991. Let that sink in for just just a moment. In three decades, we've changed it six times. So when people say, oh, maybe because the 60s were growing so much. No, we've grown more in those three decades than we did in all of the 60s. Okay, so. What's the difference? I think the difference is how we value the workers, right? How we value blue collar employees, how we value those who are producing for us. Right. That's the big difference. We're in the 60s. Six times in death decade, minimum wage change. It, it says a whole lot. So we have to ask ourselves, who's actually even on minimum wage, right? Because we keep hearing that minimum wage is for young people, teenagers, college students. So, you know, they, they, they don't need to survive in terms of carry a household or take care of children or anything like that. They can live with their parents. They're young. But 1.8 million workers, and this this is people who are on the federal minimum wage, the $7.25. $7.25. You can barely get a, a meal from McDonald's for $7.25 anywhere in this country. Okay. Um, that's 2.3% of hourly workers. Population age 16 and older, older. Earn that seven dollars and twenty five cents. This is as of two thousand seventeen. The latest numbers I can find. Fifty one percent of workers on federal minimum wage. We're talking about federal minimum wage still seven dollars and twenty five cents. We're not talking about California minimum wage, which is what twelve dollars or something like that, right? Um, and working towards or thirteen hour working towards fifteen are actually twenty five years or older. So 51% of people who are on federal minimum wage, $7.25, are 25 years or older. 63% of those people are women. And 65% of those people on federal minimum wage work part-time. And just looking at the whole minimum wage spectrum, 25% 25% of those women who are working on minimum wage have children. And 43% of those women have college experience. So what was that saying? That's saying something happened in terms of job opportunities, job access. And a lot of times it has something to do or deal with. They might've not been able to finish college or, 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 because they had children, they have to also be home. So there's no support in terms of federally to help some of these women with childcare. And we, we're seeing this right now with the pandemic, with millions of women quitting their jobs or having, having to take a, a part-time minimum wage job because they have to stay at home and do what? Help with their children education right they have to step up and do that and this is causing a quite a change economically for them and for this country so that's another conversation that needs to be had and i promise we'll have it on this on this not this episode but on this show 
that there has to be some type of change. Right. So look at this. 54 percent of them actually, you know, they work full time. So let's think about this for a second. Opponents of raising minimum wage. One of the things they say, they, they say this a lot. I hear it all the time. That. Minimum wage is a training wage that people who work on minimum wage, they're getting prepared to move up in their life. That this job is training them in customer service, it's training them in um, just allowing them to 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 get job experience. So when they're done with college, they're ready to go or they're done with school, they're ready to go. But. How is it a training wage when many of these people are over the age of 25, they have family, they have some college experience? How is that a training wage? What are you training these people on? I I would love some of them to, to just walk into a Walmart and ask someone, is this job a training job for you? They're probably going to look at them and laugh. This is my job. Go into a McDonald's and ask someone, someone there that's working midday at two o'clock in the one o'clock in the afternoon. Is this a training job for you? Right. So how, how, how is that even acceptable in terms of being an argument of why we should keep minimum wage low or why why it, it doesn't need to be a living wage, right? If you have family, children you have to take care of and trying to work this job full time and you have some education, this is not a training job. This is your job. Bottom line, right? This is not an internship. I, I, I don't understand. I, I don't get why that's even an argument, right? Um, and and another one is that if some reason if we raise minimum wage, we would somehow cause some type of job loss, right? But in reality, what job loss are we talking about? Are we talking about the job loss of the people who have been working two jobs to try to make ends meet and would now only need to work one job? That would change their life completely. Is that what we're talking about? Um, and the idea that it will cause inflation and it will ruin the economy. Inflation has been steady for decades. And in the 60s, when it went up six times, it didn't cause any form of insane inflation and didn't cause anyone to lose their jobs. In reality, it caused a 20 percent um, decrease in terms of the gap between African-Americans and white home income. So African-Americans got closer in terms of that gap during the 60s, during that time when minimum wage kept going up and other jobs. Wages kept going up. So it actually helped the economy and actually allowed us to build the economy stronger when minimum wage was going up. So and and the crazy thing is that people now are more productive 
They're double productive, two times as productive as they were in the late 60s. So if the wages were going up based off productivity, which, you know, everyone said, well, it was about what they can produce or how much they can produce. If that was the case, minimum wage would be somewhere in the 20s, somewhere $22, $23 right now. We're talking about nationally, federally. That's what it would be if it was based off the way our workers are producing today. So what's the plan and what we're doing is what we're going to talk about next. But realistically, let's let's talk about this. What's the living wage movement, right? Where does it come from? It started in the 1990s. And this living wage movement is the idea that people can work full time and will be able to support themselves and a family if need be without any public welfare or assistance. And right now, there are many companies that have employees who work full time and have some form of food stamp, some type of section, some housing. And those companies that normally top the list are companies like Walmart and McDonald's. They're leading the way, right? So I want, want to listen to a story from someone who is living this life Right, so take a listen. My name is Sophia Cotton. I'm 22. I have a one-year-old son. I'm a single mom. I make $7.50 an hour at McDonald's. Nothing. every two weeks. I've been working there for almost a year. I haven't had a raise since I started working here. They have a slow week, you going home every day. I came into work one morning, I had to be there at seven. And once the general manager came in, she came in like 7.30, 8 o'clock, and she was like, okay, well, Sophia, you can clock out. And I'm like, well, I just got here. She's like, oh, well, we don't need you. Labor's high. You can go ahead and clock out. It's not really matter to them if we're making our hours and getting paid. I got 261 in food stamps last month. Then they deducted it to 216. go through the whole month for 216. It's feeding my son, me, every day, like feeding breakfast, lunch, dinner. So I buy like frozen foods that I can keep in the refrigerator, on the freezer. I don't buy fresh fruits and stuff like that because it's not guaranteed that it'll be eating all. Make it stretch. With child care, I get um, CCIS, which is like coverage of child care or any daycare that you would like your child to go to.
I do pay a co-payment for $10 a week. His dad's actually incarcerated, so it's like, just me. Come on. Safi. I want my son to not have to struggle the way I struggle. He going have a good paying job. He's not going to have to pick through anything. He's like, I'm going to do anything he want to do, he'll be able to do. So Sophia works full time and is on some form of government assistance. Um, and her story reminds me of when, when I was in management in a private company some years back. And I won't mention the company or the name or yeah stuff, but when Obamacare came and, you know, if you worked over 25 hours, you had to provide some form of health care. We started cutting our our people who did work, you know, minimum wage or what have you. And I remember this guy was a little bit older than me and he had a daughter um, and he come to find out because of that cut started to sleep in his car and was thinking about committing suicide. So I, I, I'm saying this because we are putting our our American workers through hell. These people um, are hardworking, trying to find a way to support themselves, their children, and life has not been very kind to them. And when I look at the story that you guys just listened to, it, it goes on a little bit longer. But she's a single young mom making $6,200 a year, barely making it. And it's not just affecting her housing. It's affecting her son upbringing. It's affecting her health because she can't afford to eat or buy healthy, fresh foods. Right. Later on in that conversation, she talks about going to the doctor or to the dentist and she can't afford um, even the proper care for dental. So instead of saving a tooth that could have been saved, um, she went the cheaper, cheapest route and just told him just to pull the tooth. Right. Little things like that. Like that's not little at all. That's like serious health. Right. Other reasons why people may not end up in going to the doctor for checkups because they can't afford it. Right. Can't afford it. Um, they don't have the options and in Southern California or California, we have it pretty good in terms of um, the expansion of the public option, but that's not the case in, in many States. So this is where we're at, right. With minimum wage. Um, with that being said, the, the fight for the living wage continued on with Senator Tom Harkin and, um, Representative George Miller. They introduced bills in 2012, 2013, and 2014 to raise minimum wage to $10.10. This failed um, because it was a filibuster by the Republican, the last Republicans, the last one in 2014, um, failed by four votes. The Republican um, Party didn't want it to happen, just like today. So 
when the Republicans are telling us that they're the party of the working class people, you can't continue to say that and do things like this. You can't continue to say that and not even have one vote for the latest stimulus package where I believe over 41, 42% of Republicans, the voters are in favor of it. And over 150 CEOs signed up, signed a letter urging them to vote. Yes. So with access of what and why, and who are they even working for? What is it really about? Right. So we have to put their feet to the fire realistically. Um, so the fight for 15 really started to gain a whole lot of movement um, in 2012 when 15, um, the fight for 15 had nine different states decided to, you know, work with their fast food employees and have a strike. Right. And it did seem, see, see some success because in states like California, and it's not the only state that's doing it, um, decided to change their minimum wage to, to $15 gradually. So each year since the law was passed to go up a dollar or so. Right. Um, and it, that would have been a very similar deal. And what this plan that, you know, someone like Bernie Sanders were pushing for as well. And he said, he's going to continue to push for, and he's been pushing for since 2016. Um, and you know, really his whole life, the, the act would have just raised minimum wage to $9.50 immediately, right? From the $7.25. It hasn't been an increase in years, right? Um, and we have to ask yourself, I think since like 2013, I can't remember. Um, we have to ask yourself, like, look at the look at the 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 cost of living. So obviously the cost of living has went up. The cost of living has went up in the last year drastically. So you mean to tell me Minimum wage doesn't need to go up or people doesn't, they don't deserve raises. Um, you've heard from Sophia. She's been, since she started working at McDonald's, she's yet to get a raise. You know, raises aren't given away. They are 10 cents, 20 cents here, right? That's, that's not dynamic enough. So they would have went up to $9 and 50 cents. For some reason, the, the conservative, conservative media would tell you that the $15, they almost make you think like the $15 is going to happen right away. No, it would have went up to nine fifty, and it would have ended up at fifteen dollars by twenty twenty five, which is four years from now. Okay, and after twenty twenty five, it would just adjust based off the growth of medium medium wages. So it would it would have continued to adjust, right? And it would have completely phased out the two dollars and thirteen cents tipped worker pay. So I know if you're listening in California, you're like, what? Well, in in, in many other states, if you are someone who's being tipped like you're a waiter or waitress, your minimum wage is $2.13. And the rest of your money is based off of, you got it, tip. I remember hearing about this when I was, you know, um, early college and I was going to be, or when I was in college, I was going back back east and I knew someone who, who were from back east. I was going to uh, intern on Capitol Hill in D.C. And, and they said, when you go out, make sure you tip, tip, tip. I said, I tip already. Like, no, it's really serious because when I worked out there, you know, in like the Virginia region and things of that nature, DMV area, this is what I was getting paid. I was like, what? Right. And that's the reality. And that's been the same since 1991. It's been legal since night. Then that's been the, 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 
the base pay for a tip employee since 1991. Okay. Um, so listen, the average single adult needs about $31,200 a year to make it. That's roughly pretty much what that $15 is, right? That's right now. But Economic Policy Institute uh, did a research and, and their study found by ni- by 2025 in rural Missouri, a sing- and this is rural Missouri, this is backwater, back six somewhere, right? Will need at least $39,800 to 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 have a decent average life, a single adult, no kids, no spouse. And that's roughly $19 an hour, right? Now you start looking at um, in major cities like a New York or LA, we're talking about by 2025, you're going to need $28 in New York and $24 in LA by 2025. So even the bill would have been behind in terms of living wages, living wages at $15 is more back 2012. Right. So it would have helped quite a bit by far. Um, and, and the thing is we've been praising essential workers for the longest saying, I mean, they, they've taken care of, they stepped up those who delivering, those who are working at grocery stores. And we see in places like in LA, like in Long Beach, you have Ralph's and food for less, which are part of the same company. Kroger talk about closing because of the hero pay um, uh, a temporary wage raise for hero workers. Those who have worked the grocery store. Think about that. Think about when the pandemic first hit and you were going to a grocery store and there was lines out the door. No one had masks on because we had no, (laughs) we didn't know any better. Oh my God. And it was a, a madhouse in there. And they were working long hours, right? Cleaning up afterwards. They haven't stopped. Stayed continued, continued working. The fast food employee that continue to work hard, longer hours, drive through. I mean, drive through an hour, two hour wait for some places, right? Putting in that labor, the UPS, the, the 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 putting in work, right? All these different people that we talk about, nurses, right? But not only nurses, those who are assistants to the nurses, right? Um, putting in quite a bit of work. Those who are working in the elderly homes, right? So these people, these essential workers, would be most affected by by the raise. Simple. Those people that we praise that put in so much work during this pandemic would be most affected by the raise, by raising minimum wage federally. 35% of African-Americans and 26% of Latinos or Latinx would get a raise. It's a big number. 23% of them would be black or black or brown women. That's happy Women's History Month, by the way. All right. That's what that would have done if we would have got it done this month. 32 million working Americans would have gotten a raise just by adding it up or moving it up to $10.10 an hour, the federal minimum wage. 
the the crazy thing is in terms of poverty, because poverty has a connection to so much more in your life. If you're in poverty, that affects your education, that affects um, your health, that affects um, your family, that affects the way your dynamic of raising your children, right? Um, 59% of workers who total family income, not just them, but their total family income is below the poverty line would receive a pay increase. Hmm. $15 minimum wage by 2025 is $107 billion in higher wages. Imagine what that would have done to the economy. Putting money, I mean, I, the stimulus package was important, needed it. But imagine if you consistently were putting money in people's hands to go out and take care of their family, to buy things to just pay for gas, just to pay for food, right? The basic things. And the higher income statistically shows would have reduced poverty, improved infant health, and reduced child abuse and teen pregnancy. Because what happens is poverty is tied to all those things. Poverty is also tied into crime, as we talked about in another episode sometime back in the first season. So all these things would have changed and would have been reduced or in a better position if we weren't raised minimum wage. Crazy, right? So it's much more than thinking, oh, it's about a training wage or no, these are people lives. These this is changing the 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 dynamics of someone's life completely if given this chance. What would they've been able to do? What have they been able to afford? How would they be able to take care of their child and the additional stress that they have because they work in an additional job or because they're not making enough? What would that do? And we have to ask ourselves, what do we value? Do we value profit or people? What do we value in America? And how valuable is the working class? And the crazy thing is so many people don't count themselves as part of the working class. You're not part of the ownership class. You're not a CEO. You don't own millions and millions of dollars worth of of a company. You're getting a check or you're working a small business you're part of the working class too. And their success is your success. When we talk about, you know, the old slogan that we heard from even Ronald Reagan and from Trump, you know, make America great or make America great again for Trump. That America in terms of economically has always been at its best when, when there were strong unions and fair pay. And since the 80s, and we talked about this in the union episode, we've seen a a vast decline in unions and in terms of support from federal government, especially it's not there. And there's a bill there now in Congress to allow and help people in companies, not companies, I'm sorry, help people and workers to actually organize And Republicans are fighting against it right now. But yet they're saying they are the party of the working class, that they have no they have problems with unions. 
The only union that they don't have a problem with is, of course, you know, police, law enforcement unions, right? But any other union that's teacher union, that's a problem. It's a problem. Other labor unions, they're the problem. But it's it's shown that when there's labor unions, fair pay comes. Benefits come. Workers' rights come. And this is where we are in America. We're at a crossroads. That it's time for us to make some changes and time for us to value the people and the workers who are producing for us. That's allowing us to be number one in terms of a world economy. So let's take care of that and take care of them. Welcome to another Be Inspired moment. I want to use a quote from Eleanor Roosevelt, the first lady, um, a social justice worker, and it's Women's History Month. So I, I want to make sure I acknowledge what this month means, right? And this quote says this Surely, in the light of history, it is more intelligent to hope rather than to fear to try rather than not to try. For one thing we know beyond all doubt, nothing has ever been achieved by the person who says it can't be done. Hope is all about anticipation. Hope is about knowing that things can get better. And if we want change and we desire something new, something better, something more progressive, We have to have a mindset that it can be done. That doubt has to be removed. The fear has to be removed. And we have to shine a light of hope. And know that it can be done. It will happen. So I'm hoping each day that you're anticipating something better. That you live in hope and by hope. And don't give up the hope. So my final closing, I just want to say that people are working tirelessly every single day and they're making $7.25 an hour. And in some states, less than that for jobs that are not federally um, protected. So with that being said, We literally live in America that's for the last few years, seemingly or last few few decades, really been seemingly gearing towards the one percent. That those who are in the middle class or below. Have been experiencing the growing pains of America. Without the support needed. And it's time for us to. Make a decision. Are we going to value the wealthy and value um, profit or are we going to value the working class people who really produce and truly make it possible for the American economy to be what it is? And outside of that, humanity Are we going to make sure that people who work full time can afford a place to live and afford to put food on the table and be able to afford to have a life? That's the real question. That's the living wage. 
So with that being said, there's no bad days, only bad moments. You decide. So decide to have a good day. God bless. Yeah, let's go. Uh, yeah, yeah. We came a long way. That's what the song said. And I could do all things. I could do all things. Yeah, I could do all things. Yeah, yeah. We came a long way. That's what the song said. And I.